The first question is probably the most difficult here. I have great difficulties understanding the quantum wave, okay, and, and even more specifically the qualium wave function. Of course you do, uh, but uh, there's a, a tremendous amount of, uh, of, of pop science explanation of the quantum wave function that I, I think I would recommend you to read. Lothar Schaefer, for example, we saw a video of his. Uh, you could watch uh, one of his uh, online, or there are many, uh, many quantum physicists. Tim Maudlin deals with it, and... Uh, uh, Michio Kaku, uh, there's a lot of them. Uh, uh, the quantum wave function, uh, it, it begins with the understanding that particles, when they're not observed, are simply uh, waves. Waves of what? Just of, of possibility. That's all. And this is true of whether it's a photon or an electron or a, a muon or any of the zoo of particles that they believe exist, none of which are real. Uh, but these are, are simply waves that because of the intention of the physicist to find a new particle so they win a grant and get a Nobel Prize, they find new particles. And, and the waves acquiesce in their desire because that's all that it, it, the world exists is to fulfill your desires. And so whatever you want will come, and whatever you fear will come. So therefore, want only the impossible, because that makes the impossible inevitable. Okay, That's why I say have infinite greed. And infinite greed means you want everything, not just now, but you want to have always had everything and never have suffered. Okay, and that's a fact. So give yourself the infinite and eternal and absolute nature of what you really are without cheating yourself. But you can't do that as an individual because you're only a reflection. And so the reflection, however, and this is an important point. This, this, this is, uh, goes to the essence of, of a huge number of books uh, written in the Zen tradition, most famously by Dogen Zenji, but by many others. The question of the relationship of practice to enlightenment. Because you know he was taught, well, we're all already Buddhas. Why do we have to sit all day and practice you know, and meditate? Uh, there shouldn't be any need to meditate if you are already Buddha. Well, there isn't a need to meditate. But the fact of your sitting all day and meditating is a reflection of the fact that you have realized your Buddhahood and transmitted that to the reflection. You won't want to sit and meditate and it'll be boring until that happens. Uh, but, and then you're not really meditating either. You're just, you know, wasting time and pretending to be a, a monk or whatever. But uh, the moment that that realization happens, then there's no one to meditate. But uh, practice, you are, you are only practicing the enlightenment that is already real. You're not practicing to attain enlightenment. It's because you're enlightened that your reflection wants to practice. Okay, so you have to understand and not put the cart before the horse. 
okay? Your action is a result. Your thoughts are a result, not a cause. So the quantum wave function is the objective correlative of everything that appears. It's a collapsed set of wave functions that produce all form in the world. This is, physics has, has come to recognize this. But what they haven't recognized is the subjective pole. So for example, to a physicist, there is no such thing as color. Color does not exist in the physical world. All that exists are uh, differentials of wavelengths of electromagnetic energy. But our subjective mind will perceive those as blue or green or red or something else. And we share the same uh, name for the various different vibrational frequencies. But you can never know if what you call blue is the same thing that's being perceived by anyone else. We all learn that that frequency has the same name, and so we'll all call it by the same name. But what we're perceiving, my blue may be your red, because your, your way of, of perceiving with your particular physiology, anatomy, imagination, etc., produces a different effect in the brain. Of course, this is... Uh, assuming your consciousness actually arises in the brain, which it doesn't, because the brain is also and only an appearance in the mirror. But uh, the, this is the way that the scientists try to uh, explain this. But our subjective uh, uh, response to the quantum waves and our projection of how those quantum waves um, produce reality come from the qualium wave function that is intertwined with it and that produces our subjectivity. Not just perceiving colors, but perceiving moods, perceiving emotions, perceiving uh, uh, feelings about people and situations and uh, uh, attitudes and beliefs. All of that are of, uh, those are, are functions of the, uh, the collapsed state of the qualium wave functions that make up your subjective psyche. And most people who are suffering end up uh, in some kind of therapy that will directly or indirectly modify some of those qualium wave functions so that now I can tolerate something that repulsed me or I no longer uh, feel desire or an addictive need to have something that I once uh, felt I couldn't do without or whatever. But these are, uh, always have to be ultimately changed at that level uh, of the root cause, which is in the wave function itself not in the, uh, the psychological reflection of that as addiction. There's no such thing as addiction. And if there is any need for an object or a whatever it is that one's addicted to, it's a result of an anxiety that's present in the qualium wave function that is trying to be covered over or in some way uh, buffered 
by uh, the addictive uh, activity or substance. So once you understand that, then uh, you won't uh, mistake the, uh, the result for the problem. And you'll also recognize that the problem is your psyche itself. And the psyche is the ego level of consciousness. The soul level that we talk about here, which is the next level up, is not a psychological entity. It, the soul doesn't have moods and beliefs and uh, feelings about things, no. It's just a pure state of love and a state that ripens into wisdom, which is the luminous clarity of realizing your suchness. That's all. It is not the ego. It is the neti neti, to use the, the Vedic term. It's not this, not that. It has nothing to do with the activity of the mind it, because it's beyond the, the use of uh, the mental apparatus. And therefore, it can modify it and uh, redream it and eliminate it and then return to that state that is uh, beyond even the sense of doership of that level of, uh, of alteration of the phenomenal field. Okay, so let's, let's recognize that the spectrum of consciousness, the vertical spectrum, uh, is all present at any given moment and you can be in that grossest uh, level that is the mirror reflection, or you can be the one looking in the mirror but think that the mirror is reflecting you and you are the character, but you know that you also are partly not that and have some measure of free will, or you can leave behind that duality of subject and object entirely. I don't think I answered your question about quantum waves or qualium waves, but uh, it's a large question if you want to get into the details of the, the physics of it. So, how does Shunyamurti view the intention behind the greed, or does intention play a role at all in this path? Okay. So first of all, let me make this clear. We're not talking about a path We're, uh, because there, there is no one to go on the path. It's the realization of the pathlessness of the truth because it's not something you gain. So there's no path to it. And the intention of the character is completely irrelevant because again, it's just a reflection. All that's relevant is realizing you're not the character. And when you realize you're not the character, then you begin the real spiritual quest of wondering who am I? But you don't even wonder that as long as you have a, a, uh, a reflexive identification with the body and with the narrative of the ego. So, all that matters is 
the realization of suchness, which is the state in which the mind is silent, in which there are no thoughts, but there is simple, pure presence, because that's what you are. But there's no path to that state. It's always present, it's just covered over. And at some moment, the covering falls away. Another question, when one experiences breakthroughs or revelations in meditative states, is it wise to journal or talk about it even in uh, therapy or is it wiser to simply let it all go? I've experienced both kinds of pitfalls. Taking notes tends to solidify the experience and the ego returns to appropriate it and tries to reproduce it later, but letting it go opens the way for the superego to deny the veracity of the experience or the sensor to erase it, etc. So, the, the, the so-called breakthroughs that you have are illusory because there's no you. The you is the illusion. Uh, and, and so if a breakthrough happens, as you see, to a you, it will be temporary because that breakthrough was caused by certain conditions that occurred within the mirror reflection. And when those conditions change, then the breakthrough becomes a breakdown. But what you have to let go of is not just uh, the ego, but remember the superego is part of the ego complex. They are not separate. And, and so what you want to let go of is all narrative. Silence the mind. Whether your character talks to somebody else about it is irrelevant, but don't talk to yourself about it. Okay? That's where the problem is. And if you have no internal narrative, then there's nothing to talk about with anyone else either. But there was not really any breakthrough because you are that which watches a character in the mirror having breakthroughs and breakdowns and all kinds of differences and you don't change at all. Nothing happens. So once you lose interest in the character and in its illusory breakthroughs, that's the breakthrough. <laughs> I'm probably not giving answers that anybody wants to hear. But. <laughs> if your innocence was taken and led you on the path of evil, in quotes, and you had your kundalini awakened through black magic tantra, that must have been interesting. <laughs> How do you get the energy to flow right again? Well, okay, again, the black magic is uh, just as much an illusion as white magic is. Both are simply appearances in the mirror. You don't even have any kundalini. Kundalini also is just an imaginary uh, a map that we give for the character to try to understand different levels of its own blindness or ability to perceive what's real. But there's no real change that happens in the self. The kundalini is just as illusory as any other phenomenon. And so you are not changed or affected by black magic because it was only an appearance that you dreamed. And when you awaken from the dream, 
you realize you were never affected by the contents of that imaginal uh, scenario, okay? It has no ontological status as a, a real thing that can cause any effects in you. Uh, all it can do is uh, create a drama for the character uh, to live through and, uh, and to enjoy, because everyone enjoys the black magic, and they even make songs of black magic woman, and they want to find one, you know? Uh, wasn't that Santana? But uh, shows how old I am, but he's, I think he's still alive anyway. But the point is that, that everyone is looking for these kinds of phenomena because they're bored otherwise with life. Uh, and that's only because they're identified with a reflection that has no essence. Once you're in the essence, then there's no one left to be bored. <clears throat> but uh, no one can be hurt by anything that happens in the dream field. Okay, if action uh, should not be characterized as good versus evil, is it characterized as innocent versus self-aware? No, innocence is pure self-awareness. That's exactly what it is. Uh, and then he goes on, is there not still some duality in innocent versus uh, something, right? No, there is no opposite to innocence. That, that's what's really important. It is an absolute state that cannot be lost. And the illusion in the mirror of the character may feel very guilty, uh, but that guilt is not real and it doesn't affect the innocence. And the guilt is not a duality. It, it, the guilt is simply uh, the way that the innocence is being expressed. You see, because you often have to express the adoration for something by losing it. And then that creates the yearning. So the drama in the reflection has to reflect a loss of something that then causes a quest to return to that lost innocence that you can never return to because you never lost it actually. So it is not a, a dualistic concept. It, it is a concept of the uh, essence of non-duality. I will appreciate input on the power of forgiveness. <clears throat> okay, again, remember, in the frame of reference of radical non-duality, you can only forgive yourself. And when you forgive, if you're, if you're identified with a character and you think you're forgiving someone else, you're only doing it for selfish reasons because you feel lighter when you let go of that grudge, right? It's a burden on you if there's someone you haven't forgiven. That, that causes pain and contraction and loss because you, you, you have cut off uh, possibilities of, of joy and of learning and of growth that would otherwise exist for you and you've created a karmic uh, uh, situation in, in which you may not be forgiven as a, a result in that mirror image. So 
forgiveness is, uh, is simply the act of being innocent because there was never any, uh, any uh, judgments in the state of innocence. And there's no need to forgive because you have never ungiven. You know, forgive means to give forth what you're withholding, which is love. But love is what you are, and uh, it can't be withheld. Even if you don't give it to your own character, uh, the love will be given to your dog or cat or to, you know, strangers or whatever. But uh, love is what you are, and it's, it's always uh, emanating, even if you're withholding it from uh, y your own... Uh, space of uh, the emotional body and creating some kind of pain. But that is done also as an act of self-love for the character that feels hurt by someone else, etc. In its narrative, it feels like it's protecting itself even though it's harming itself. So uh, the forgiveness is simply uh, the result of clarity and coherence in perceiving reality correctly, in, in which uh, that, that's the, the true nature. We're all one. There is, uh, if I'm uh, antagonistic toward anyone, then I am uh, hating some aspect of myself, and that does no one any good. So I hope that answers the question of the power of forgiveness. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti. Recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste.